2: Hey, Adam, here's my question. Yeah? (laughs) If you're laying on your stomach and you're propped up (laughs) on your elbows so that you can work on your computer, are you cutting off the energy flow through your spine so you're not as smart?
3: Are you telling me that that is, in fact, what's happening with you right now? No, I do it in segment two. (laughs) 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 I'm going to put it this way, Bonnie. You don't sound any less smart in segment two.
2: I'm not on in segment two,
3: right?
2: <laughs> oh. Ouch!
3: <laughs> you don't stand any smarter in it either, though. I don't. I don't think it matters. What do you know? Nothing. Can I can I start the show, Bonnie? <laughs> yes, Adam. <laughs> Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, fa, 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 fashion. What is it? How do you do it? And how come I don't seem to have any? I mean, Paula's got her signature zoot suits, which may not be fashionable, but at least it's a look, right? What's the difference between high fashion and regular fashion, and why do they both make me look fat? Don't answer that. We've got designer Hogan McLaughlin here to help us mix and match. Plus, how well do we know us? It's the return of Two Truths and a Lie. I'm Adam Felber, this podcast's dresser, scurrying around behind the scenes, primping and plumping every conversational idea until it's just right, and then sending it down the rhetorical runway. And now, please welcome the strutting avant-garde supermodel whose signature black and orange lipstick turned out to be Dorito dust and Oreo crumbs, it's Paula Poundstone.
0: Hey, you guys. You know, I'm sitting in a chair right now, so of course my legs are kind of at a right angle to my back, and I wonder if I'm cutting off my energy.
3: Why would you be wondering about that, Paula?
0: It was just an idea that I, I suddenly went into my head. I hope I'm not cutting off my energy. Hey, a- hi, Adam, Bonnie, <laughs> Tony, <laughs> hi, and thanks to tonight's house band returning champ, David Bragger on the fiddle from Los Angeles. You can visit his record label at www.oldtimetikiparlor.com. Parlor, by the way, has a U in it.
3: Does it? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Good to know. Yeah, because that can be frustrating. What's new, Paula Poundstone?
0: Oh, my gosh. I got the kittens fixed. Oh, it's been... Uh, yeah, it was, we were running out of time, and I couldn't get an appointment at the vet. And I had separated them because I saw the boy, uh, you know, putting his moves on the girl. And so I, separ- I put the girl in my room. And I think that while she was in my room, she went into heat. And no one has sex in my room. That's a, a rule. <laughs> it's funny. I've If you're around a female cat in heat, it just sets you on edge. I don't know. It, it's like her frustration somehow. Uh, I picked up on the energy. I think that's what it was. I mean, I'm not sure she was in heat, but I think she was in heat. She would roll around on my floor crying. She She may have just been copying me. But she did roll around on my floor, (laughs) crying a lot. And uh, now I took them to the, they got, and it was very expensive. You'd think when they're taking stuff out, uh, it would be cheaper than if they were putting stuff in. Yeah. (laughs) But now they both have funnels on their heads. And uh, the male cat, who's kind of a bully, quite honestly. Um, I mean, I have eight other cats, so those are not my only, um, but- My cat Tonks is kind of wussy, and my cat with the funnel on his head, uh, Lawson, still chases Tonks. And I think to myself, you know, that is one baby cat that can't figure out how to get away from a cat with a funnel on its head.
3: Yeah, you should be able to do that. Yeah.
0: Right. It would be like, you know, running from someone with a ball and chain. Uh, You know, (laughs) I think I can make it. It would be like running from, what was the name of that movie with Tony Curtis and... Oh, the defiant ones. Yeah, it was. It was the defiant ones. <laughs> yeah, and they're chained. They're chained together. <laughs>
3: and, Bonnie's uh, very proud of herself there.
0: Yeah,
2: that was. I a am.
0: You pulled that out. That was good. And are you laying on your stomach
2: with your energy not flowing now, or are you? No, here's the thing in case yeah. you didn't know it. You know, the base of the spine up to the spine is considered like when the energy flows through that, it goes through all the chakras. And oh. I swear to you, sometimes when I'm tired sitting up, I do, you know, prop myself up on my elbows, on my stomach. And the next day, if I go over like things I've done, I'm like, whoa, I really wasn't together there. I think it blocks my thoughts. I'm cutting off the flow, energy flow. You mean because
3: you're bending your spine kind of backwards by propping yourself up on your elbows?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, what I think is good about you laying on your stomach with your head propped up with your elbows is that if a production of Bye Bye Birdie breaks out, you will be in the right position to do the, uh, hello, Mrs. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Can I speak to... What's that song? What is it? Is it Penelope? The Telephone yeah, Hour? Yeah, yeah is oh, that it? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's a, so you will be... You are already set for that. If, if uh, Oh. If,
3: and it's kind of a yoga, yoga pose, too. Isn't it also a yoga pose? Isn't that sort of like a sun salutation, but you just, you just don't ever stop doing it?
2: No, the salute to the sun bends you all different ways. Okay. You go one way and the other way.
3: You don't know yoga moves.
2: I was going to tell you guys this one day, but I don't know. I was waiting to find the time. So there's this yogi Bikram, who you've probably heard of, who ended up making a ton of money, and then he's kind of a charlatan. and he went back to India. But... I took with Bikram at the time when it was, like, very celebrity-filled. And he would sit in a Speedo in the front of the room, propped up on cushions, drink Coca-Cola, and hurl insults at everybody. And, like, I remember Raquel Welch. The room was, like, 100 degrees. And Raquel Welch would, like, get sick, and she'd go walking out, and he'd go, you know, stupid Americans, skinny legs, chicken legs, skinny arms. Okay, Guess what? I was this 37th person, number 37, who could touch their forehead to their toes. That's how flexible I became. So don't tell me, Paula Pound, so that I don't know yoga. Wait a minute.
0: Touch your forehead to your toes. I can. Wow.
2: He'd stand on your back and um, act like he was surfing.
3: So you're saying the inventor of Bikram Yoga used to just lambaste you and your buddy Raquel Welch and share no doubt.
2: No, not just us. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. I mean, there were all these people and there. It became the very cool thing to go to
3: Bikram. Bonnie, this is huge. This is a big chapter in your life that we didn't know anything about. Yeah, I know. And I'm still flexible. Was this before or after you were shagging Topol?
2: I think this is part of
3: two truths and a lie.
0: And she's already, she's jumped the gun on it. You didn't do yoga with Raquel Welch.
2: You know what? Now I'm remembering what the problem was. He got sued by all these women for like putting sexual moves on him. But not you. He actually did put a move on me.
3: What did he do to you? Yeah, he stood
2: on
0: your back like he was surfing.
3: This is so embarrassing. This is the best unexpected show reminiscence ever.
2: Okay, like after class, he called me into his <laughs> office, and he said, take off your shirt. No! So I on underneath. I took off my shirt. Don't ask me why. Everybody listened to him. And then he went, okay, put it back on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that was that? And then I left. Wow. Bonnie, uh, Bonnie, tell the story about the time you spent with Jim Jones. Go ahead. Tell that story.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. Um... Why would everyone
0: do what the guy said?
3: He
4: was
2: like, you know, there were these stories about people really transforming their lives. Everybody just believed in this guy. And you're all in there sweating. It's honestly, I think it's called hot yoga now. No, it's
0: called Sweating with Jeff Bridges. I think that this is something that might have come up that you should have told me before you became my manager.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hate to segue out of this, but we have to. Yeah. I'm going to take us into the book club. Oh,
2: boy. Oh, okay. I haven't rehearsed or anything. Oh, boy. You want the same melody, or should I go with, like, a more Frank Sinatra thing?
3: Bonnie, (laughs) it's like the weather. Just do whatever you're going to do.
2: Okay. (laughs) We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a book club
3: tonight. Wow. Okay. Uh, And this is the uh, last session of this particular book in the book club.
0: I can't believe that years of voice training didn't go into that. Um, One of the things that Bonnie didn't say is that Bonnie used to sing a lot like Linda Ronstadt until the Bikram yoga. There was something about that guy standing on top of her. I mean... There was, like, a breath control in that song that was astounding, that that would make opera singers jealous, yeah.
3: Absolutely. Circular breathing or something like that.
0: I think it was triangular, but uh, octagonal. It (laughs) might have been octagonal breathing. It sounded
3: pointier than circular, you're right. Um, Anyway, we finished Fight Club. Do you know why
0: I think it was octagonal? Why? Because partway through, I wanted to go, Stop. And so that must have been...
3: Yeah, you know what? I did too, so yeah, yeah. that's probably Yeah, octagonal. so there's got
0: to be the octagonal breathing. It's amazing. Bonnie, did you <laughs> sing that song while touching your toes to your forehead?
2: <laughs> Here, let me see if I can do that.
0: Wait, wait till you're driving. Wait till you're driving and do it. <laughs> you
2: have to pull your big toe. You have to wrap your fingers around your big toe and then like really pull. Oh, that is growth. Your feet toward you to get your forehead to that.
0: So it's not really that you're doing like a stretch where you lean down, but rather you're removing a toe like Jaime <laughs> from Get Smart. You're unscrewing a toe and touching it to your forehead. Okay, yeah, I, it's not really what I imagined, but okay. Yeah, wait, wait until you're driving uh, because you know what I would love? I would love it that when you get pulled over, Uh, by a cop you could say uh, he could say do you know how fast you were going and you say "Uh, no sir officer but I I was touching my toe to my forehead and I'm pretty sure they'll let you off book club
3: (laughs) (laughs) anybody
4: I'm ready for
3: book club (laughs) okay let's do book club
0: (laughs) That didn't sound like a leader. That sounded like a cry for help. Oh, my God, that was funny. Yeah.
3: All right. Okay, so Fight Club.
0: That sounded like Oliver asking for more. That was good. Okay. It just
3: feels like this week the first rule of Book Club is that we don't talk about Fight Club. No, we're talking about Fight Club. Uh, I listened to the end of it. We finally finished Fight Club, and, uh, you know, massive spoilers here, but our hero, who turns out to be Tyler Durden, is trying to figure out a way to... Eliminate Tyler Durden or at least save Marla's life and he um, tries to undo Tyler's stuff and not fall asleep. He fails. Tyler murders his boss by blowing him up. Tyler shoots a party guest who's a city functionary. In charge of the recycling for the city. Shoots him dead. Now he's definitely a murderer. And finally, we get to that scene that the book opens with on top of the building. The building's about to blow up. He's got his gun in his mouth. And all of a sudden, Marla shows up with all the self-help group people. And they tell him that they love him and that they somehow the building is not going to blow up. And he shoots himself in the mouth but doesn't kill himself. Ends up in some kind of institution. And that's the end of the book.
0: Yeah, he ends up in an institution. He describes it as heaven. He says he goes to talk to God. And Marla continues to write to him. You know, I'll tell you, the thing that's disturbing about the book, of course, is that he's created these fight club people, right? They've all joined up, and you can recognize them because they have shaved heads and bruises and missing teeth, and they've done this uh, Project Mayhem stuff. Right. So they've all become criminals, basically. And he now ends up in a you know some sort of mental health facility because he's schizophrenic and crazy, but... All those Fight Club people are still out there.
3: Yeah, that's the big cliffhanger at the end. And and we should point out that at one point, Tyler apparently has warned them that his alter ego would try to whinge out of stuff. So they kidnap him and almost castrate him at the end, just like he almost castrated somebody else. But they don't.
0: You know what? Um, can you say this a little bit more quietly? My, um, my cat, Lawson, is listening at the door. Sorry, Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, and then, yeah, that dialogue with God is kind of kind of fun. I mean, I love the book, Paula. What, what's your going away impression of the book?
0: Um, I liked the book. I liked the way it was written. It was a little film noirish, y- y- you know. It was a little. There was a little sort of Raymond Chandler-y uh, kind of feeling about the the, the way that it was written. But I would still say. A, there are other kinds of clubs you can join, and B, it is so Trumpy in that all the men that join him seem to feel these uh, frustrations, these ways in which their lives have been wronged. Yes. And that becoming criminals is somehow their payoff, and they're entitled to it. That's what it is.
3: Burn it all down, as some trumpists have said.
0: Yeah, there's something a little uh, prescient, isn't there, about this book. So, Brad Pitt, um, good job. <laughs> Brad Pitt wrote this book.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, let, let let's uh let's open up our our floor a little bit. Uh you know, Bonnie has spoken a little bit, so I'm gonna let her uh have a rest, especially if she's aligned improperly. Let's go to Tony Anita Hull and Sherman Oaks. Tony, closing thoughts on Fight Club.
4: I love the book. I love the writing. I felt really sad for the narrator by the end of it. It made me me sad, but um, I thought it was really a great book, surprisingly. I didn't think I would like it, but I really did. Listeners, keep in mind that it was Tony
0: Anita Hull who Wanted us to read Eat, Pray, Love. So this is...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. She didn't love Eat, Pray, Love the next time through. That's true.
0: Imagine not liking it on your fourth read. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I want
3: to say this. I I don't know if anybody else notices, but I did notice that there seemed to be some reluctance on the part of the author... Finish off the narrator, or finish off any of the victims. Like nobody dies until those last couple of paragraphs, and then there's no there's no mass destruction, and the narrator doesn't actually manage to kill himself.
0: So you're feeling uh, frustrated that the guy doesn't follow through. Is that it?
3: I think that especially first time authors have a tendency to not want to destroy what they create and see what happens next.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so Adam Felber has just now gone down the self-help level tributary that Bonnie Burns has <laughs> canoed towards so many times during our book club. Suddenly Adam is a therapist, a psychologist, knows all about oh, I, I really just think that's the story.
3: Yeah, maybe that's the story. It's totally possible, but that's what I see there. And to see what someone else sees there, let's go up to the Simi Valley, where, in the pose of what, downward-facing dog at this moment? It's Bonnie Burns.
2: Oh, boy. Look what you know. Um, You know, (laughs) I don't really know what to say. Uh, Who's Marla in this book? What do you think she represents? Oh, will
0: you stop it with the representing? Are you touching your knee to the back of your neck right now? Be
2: honest. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I can sit in a full lotus.
0: I don't think she represents. I, I think she is the girlfriend. I don't know who represents. Will you stop it with representing?
2: I feel there's so much symbolism in this book. Oh, my God, I just, it's nauseating. T- no, okay, for example, that this thing with the narrator and Tyler is the struggle when you've got part of yourself that you rebel against you can't you know this thing happens and you can't turn off that self or you're gonna be uh miserable (laughs) and that's why he goes to those (laughs) weird AA type meetings to try and feel better but they're not AA meetings and so Tyler is the part that the narrator's rebelling against
0: how did Topol even shower with you? Did you
2: <laughs> did you go on and on like this with him? Ugh. There's symbolism everywhere. What do you think that mechanic was? Mechanic. What do mechanics do? They fix things.
0: Oh, now you're on to something.
2: <laughs> the... <laughs> Okay, uh, you know come on, you guys. Except I th- for.
3: Uh, I think you're entitled to read anything into this that you want. And I think Fight Club is a true. good enough book that there's oh, stuff God. there, even if the author wasn't consciously trying to go, like, oh, I'm going to call him the mechanic because he represents a fixer. I mean, I think that's what makes a, a great piece of art. You, you know what?
0: Your poor kid, when you read aloud to her when she was little, it must have just been painful. Just, okay. Uh, Ivy, who, who, what do you think the little red hen represents? I did do stuff. It's like
3: your that. anxieties.
0: Yeah.
2: Why do you think the puppy is pokey, honey? <laughs> and music, when she went through that stage of where it's like this rap stuff, and it was like, that bitch sucked my dick. And I would go, you know, that's the artistic way that he's trying to express what his world is. Oh
0: you actually God. said that? To- I'll bet you did too.
2: I was trying to get her to appreciate the art of it, the expression of it. Uh It wasn't that he was necessarily being demeaning to women. He might have even known he was being demeaning to women, but he was expressing the culture that he lived in. You know, his perception. Okay, now
3: you've wandered into some memory cul-de-sac here, Bonnie, but that does sound like good parenting to me.
2: There you go! Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Uh, Paula Poundstone any closing thoughts uh, you know this is the nobody listens to Paula Poundstone book club she, she could fuck up muskrat love
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the muskrat <laughs> represents uh-huh so it's not really love it's anger isn't it
2: get yeah, what's her face on the phone
3: Penelope <laughs> Vanderbottom yeah her <laughs> we're not gonna get her on the phone okay. Adam Adam <laughs> what you know, Answer the phone! I Ah! really don't want to answer the... Within the confines (laughs) of book club, Paula, I should overrule this. Adam, answer the phone! God damn it. Hello?
0: Adam? Penelope (laughs) Vanderbottom (laughs) here. Just to tell you that you might want to start memorizing the vocabulary song because you may have to take over when Paula Poundstone leaves. (laughs) Wait,
3: what? Paula's leaving the show? It's called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone.
0: Well, maybe they will listen when she's gone. (laughs) That's,
3: That's ridiculous, Penelope. Paula loves doing this podcast.
0: Be that as it may, she won't need to worry about microphones and wires and Bonnie Burns reading things in the book club and Tony Anita Hall on board the good ship Omicron and gathering one listener at a time very soon. I have found an unknown Mary Cassette painting back behind the boxes of remarkably soft tri-poly blend t-shirts in the Poundstone Industries Warehouse, a.k.a. her son's old bedroom.
3: (laughs) A Mary Cassatt?
0: Yes, a beautiful Mary Cassatt. She was, of course, an American painter who lived in France during the late 1800s and early 1900s, She was known for her depiction of women's lives, especially for the bond between mothers and children. Paula Poundstone now owns Mary Cassatt with a mother looking lovingly down at an angelic baby she holds in her lap. The mother wears a white frilly bonnet and the baby wears a My Parents Went to Las Vegas and All I Get Was This Lousy T-Shirt T-Shirt. Paula could retire on what she gets from this heretofore undiscovered cassette.
3: Uh, Penelope, respectfully, that does not sound like a merry cassette, uh.
0: Adam, start memorizing this
2: week's word is some bees. Bye-bye, Adam. Bye-bye.
3: Bye, Penelope.
2: Bye, Penelope. Wow, well Thanks for calling.
3: <laughs> she was summoned. <laughs> And uh, she didn't have a lot to say about Bonnie, but she did have something to say about you know, possible riches for you, Paula. That's great.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm letting her put it up for auction. I'm busy with the podcast, you know. I can't
3: bother. Yeah, and given, given that T-shirt, I think your uh, future on this podcast is assured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but all right, with that, I'm going to bring this chapter of the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Book Club to a close. Did I have a theme song here? Yeah, you want to have a closing credits theme? Go ahead. We had a book club tonight.
0: (laughs) You know what? That gives me closure. Thank you.
3: Hey, listeners... Uh, we're obviously going to be uh, taking a break from the book club for a week or two, but this means that you should hustle on over to our Facebook page or fire up an email to nobody listens to Paula poundstone at gmail.com. And let us know your suggestions for the next book and book club. It doesn't have to be anything like the other three that we've done. Let's keep spreading out the floor. Some variety. It's the spice of life. We've done Moby Dick, eat, pray, love and fight club. So uh, help us choose what's next.
2: Bonnie wants to do the inner life of corduroy. (laughs) I listened to an autobiography of a yogi. Let's
3: let's let our listeners uh, make some suggestions. Meanwhile, Paula, do you have a word this week?
2: I do, Adam. I have a word.
0: It's sapid. It's an adjective that means having a strong and pleasant taste. Here, I'll use it in the family setting. Mother, I haven't seen you all day. I guess you were up in your room doing your distanced learning. Son, No, Mom. I was at school. We're doing in-person learning now. Mother. Well, when did that happen? I thought, Son, after the Proud Boys and the New Christian Nazis lit firecrackers and pooped in their chairs at the school board meeting. They threatened to poop on every chair in the whole school district. Father. Well, I don't agree with their politics, but you've got to admire the sphincter muscles. There's a lot of chairs in the whole school district. Mother, how is everyone enjoying the pumpkin soup? Father, is that what this is? Son, it's sapid, Mom, thanks. Father, we will not have that kind of language at this table. Son, Dad, sapid means having a strong and pleasant taste. Oh, it does, does it? Well, then pass me some of those sapid mashed potatoes. All right, hold it. I'm rearranging the furniture. All right, here we go. Uh, let's put that right into the vocabulary song. This week's word is sapid. It's an adjective that means having a strong and pleasant taste. My classmate, Rob Blakeney, used to eat paste. Last week's word was diaphanous. It's an adjective that means, especially of fabric, light delicate, and translucent. I can see right through the dress you sent. The week before that, the word was oleaginous. It's an adjective that means oily or greasy. It also means excessively flattering or obsequious. You were the smartest, best, most wonderful, beautiful, even gorgeous. Going back before that, the word was apogee. It's a noun that means the highest point in the development of something. There's no finer snack on the planet than a Drake's ring ding. Let's never forget Free, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. I just touch my elbow to my nose.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah! Oh my gosh That was hot tonight, Paula I hope that sounded okay For the second half of it I had uh, my big toe uh, from my left foot (laughs) Stuck in my ear
3: It's 110 (laughs) degrees in your place,
0: no less Oh, it's warm and oily in here It's it's warm Eh. and oleaginous Well, coming up Wait a minute No coming up so fast Tony Anita Hull America's Sweetheart, as well as some parts of Panama, I have for you a challenge. (laughs) If you can identify the correct definition of a former vocabulary word from our show without Googling, then we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Frugal Bookstore, located at 57 Warren Street in Roxbury, Mass. However, Tony Anita Hull, if you cannot identify correctly the definition, it is with a heavy heart that I will have to tell you, and Frugal Bookstore, located at 57 Warren Street in Roxbury, Massachusetts, that we will not be able to provide literally dollars worth of advertising to Frugal Bookstore at 57 Warren Street in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Tony and Anita Hull, are you ready? I'm ready. The former vocabulary word is specious. Does it mean A, seemingly reasonable or plausible, but actually wrong, B specious. Does it mean plenty of room? Not crowded. Oh, bam. <laughs> or C, mm. intriguing, compelling. Or D. Like, I believe in miracles. You
4: specious thing. <laughs> I'm gonna go with A. Oh,
0: oh, 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 oh. <laughs> That is correct, Tony Anita Hulk. Congratulations to you, and congratulations to Frugal Bookstore, located at 57 Warren Street in Roxbury, Massachusetts. You have received literally dollars of advertising from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the podcast, as made possible by academic... Mistress Tony Anita Hall. Whew! That was so exciting. I
3: was edge of my seat. Yeah, I've been blown back into my chair by all the action there. Wow, it was a lot of action. What are you kidding <laughs> me? Action. A lot of action. Coming up, Giorgio Armani said the difference between style and fashion is quality. While Oscar de la Renta said fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable. Style is more about being yourself. And if those two can't agree, is there any hope? for Paula and I becoming fashionistas. Spoiler alert, no! But we'll explore fashion when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about, and I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life, right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince, of Quince.com, the clothing provider.
0: Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream, and let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our... On this day in unremarkable history, smiley face inventor Harvey Ross Ball said, I'm so depressed.
3: (laughs) Thank you, house band David Bragger. Paula, how you doing? You doing all right?
0: You know, Adam, I've been on edge I keep catching my sweater on the latch to the gates I use to keep the dogs away from the cat food. For almost 30 years, this sweater has been my winter uniform. I, I don't even know what I would do without it. I, I almost never stop wearing clothes because they're out of fashion. I stop wearing a garment because it is so threadbare, it doesn't even fit the definition of a garment anymore. Honestly, I, I don't really even understand fashion
3: Well, I'm not that clear on it either, but uh, I I know that wearing something until it's not a garment anymore isn't one part of the definition for sure. But uh, Paula, somebody who knows a lot better than me, and you, by amazing happenstance, is right here, right now. Oh my gosh! It's true. Hogan McLaughlin is a fashion designer, artist, and dancer. He's been profiled by the New York Times, Women's Wear Daily, and Vogue, and has designed for clients such as Lady Gaga and Billy Porter. Please welcome Hogan McLaughlin.
1: Hi. So excited to be here.
0: Thank you so much for being with us Hogan. All right, let's just jump right in. What is the process of a clothing designer? You you have an idea and then you draw it, you have a deadline and then you have an idea. Uh, what's your
1: process? Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of it. You know, with when you're doing a line that is sort of like a spring fall type thing that I've been doing for a while, you have sort of a deadline just because that's when the buyers start buying and so you come up with your idea for me. And then I, I am an artist as well. So I always like to sketch it and visualize it. Um, And then, you know, I've been doing this for about 10 years time. So I have sort of an idea of like where my mind is at at any given time. So there is a through line. um, So I definitely have fabrics that I, uh, you know, I default to. Um, So, you know, it's not that hard of a process. And, it's nice to travel and get inspiration from art and, you know, architecture and things like that. But generally I have what I want to do in my mind and just go with it and then expand on it. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a hard process for me.
0: (laughs) Have you gotten inspiration from architecture before for what garment?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, A lot. I mean, I, I do like to focus on very architectural aspects of, of clothing, um, it, be it in the shoulder or a seam. So I was a former ballet dancer and we would tour Europe and, you know, gorgeous places all the time when I was younger and seeing the Gothic architecture and, you know, like Notre Dame, it's hard not to be inspired by that. So I, I always love to implement that into what I do.
0: Do you have a lot of dresses with buttresses?
1: <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> you, you know, when you, when you open them up and you see the infrastructure it could look very similar. <laughs>
0: So how do you learn to, to do this, Hogan?
1: Well, I think the traditional way would be to go to school. I'll try to give you the Sparks Notes edition of how I got <laughs> how I got to where I am right now. Um, I had always sort of been into fashion when I was a kid, um, but not. I never thought it was going to be my thing. But I loved Disney movies, especially Sleeping Beauty. I would draw the princesses and their dresses because I just thought the movement was so cool and movement wise, I got into dance from there. Um, and then I actually joined a company when I was 16. So I not really dropped out of high school, but I completed high school via the internet while I was touring. And when I decided to move on from that place, I poached one of the, uh, wardrobe women (laughs) from the company. And I was like, do you want to just come with me on this journey and we'll see what happens from there. And she sort of became my mentor saying like, Oh, well this fabric will work for this. And like, I don't know how to pattern make. I'm very, very remedial with my sewing skills. So she's sort of my guiding star for everything that I do. So you guys are still together. We are for the last 12 years we've been together. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. And I, and I am a terrible at social media. I I've been getting better, <laughs> but, um, I was sort of on Twitter before Twitter even was a a huge thing. And, um, I was talking to this woman named Daphne Guinness, who is part of the Guinness family, the the brewery. She's an artist an advocate for young artists and designers. She saw my, my sketches on Twitter and she contacted me and she said, we have to meet up. We have to make these into something. Uh, a month later I was in the windows at Barney's New York, uh, Mm -hmm. Doing Whoa. things, <laughs> the New York Times was calling me. All this stuff. So it was just kind of this very whirlwind experience that kind of set me up for not disappointment in the future, but just an unrealistic expectation for like oh, how things I got work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so from there, it was kind of like a three-month insanity intensity thing, and then I was kind of like back to the drawing board. Okay, I have to figure out actually how to survive in this world. Um so it's been a learning experience <laughs> since then. <laughs>
3: wow. That's like it's your first concert and and you're you're playing Carnegie Hall.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um when there's a fashion show,
0: right? Uh who are you showing to?
1: Well, I think I would categorize it into three three types of people. One is a celebrity that is just kind of there to have their picture taken to help promote the brand. Um, the, uh-huh. uh, it's kind of like a spokesperson, um, free advertising, I guess. Uh, and then there's also a stylist who is going to say, like, they work at Vogue or something. They're going to pull those things to do a shoot or to give to a celebrity to wear for, you know, the Oscars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third is they're the buyers for the boutiques like Sixth Avenue or Bloomingdale's or, you know, whatever. They'll they'll come, and that's why we do. Um, in february we'll show stuff for the fall because then you have that 6 month time to create those things manufacture for the boutiques um and you know i think that's why people are very confused as to why you show fall in the spring and spring in the fall and then from there you you know you manufacture
0: if i buy a, a dress or something would, would your name be on it or or would it be
1: y- yes you know a- well, I think, you know, it depends on who the, the designer is. I mean, some designers operate under a, a name that's not theirs and it's more of a, you know, a thing. And They're part of the house. Of their name. Yeah, exactly. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So if you're buying from me, it would be Hogan McLaughlin.
0: Is it a big deal to have a, your name on something, you know, early on? Do people usually, you know, just be... a as Adam said, a part of the house for a long time before they get their own label? I, I, it kind of depends on
1: what your what your goals are. I am lucky enough to have only been working for myself since the beginning.
0: And what was the first thing you designed?
1: So we did this sort of cat suit out of red leather, and it had all this seeming in a kind of, not in a morbid way, but it kind of looked like musculature. Um, and it just was very lush. And it was for, for a movie that required sort of more outlandish pieces um but then from there i kind of pivoted and was like well that's all fine and well but that'd probably not be something (laughs) that the average person's going to pick up from the store uh so i sort of i I fluctuate between these like high fantasy things or you know a coat or a dress that's more practical
0: do you have a philosophy behind your you you know do you have like a would i be able to pick out your pieces among others, because they all shared, like, a certain, you know, idea.
1: What makes a McLaughlin? (laughs) Well, I like to think of myself as, like, a minimalist designer with a maximalist sensibility. (laughs) Um, What does that mean? Well, I, (laughs) my personal style is very, you know, I I don't know, very, very stark. I like to wear basics that are very quality, well-made, And I like to implement that into my own things, but I'm also very uh, inspired by historical pieces and, you know, corsetry from, you know, the 1700s, 1600s. So I like to use sort of those things, but not do it in a costumey way and do it in a way that might make more sense to a wearer that, not that I'm expecting everyone to wear a Tudor corset (laughs) on the street, but... um,
0: Where do you live? Do you live in New York?
1: I live in Chicago currently.
0: So I might be able to recognize you on the streets of Chicago because you're wearing a wife beater, a corset, and a fife?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So that
0: that was you. Oh, my God. It's so good to talk to you.
1: (laughs) Did you see the the row of cats following my fiddle?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did. That was brilliant. Now, would you call that an accessory? Um, Because if so... If the, if cats are part of a wardrobe accessory, then I mine are a write off. Thank goodness.
1: Yeah, you're um, you're on top of spring summer 2023 right now.
0: I want to say one word to you, Hogan. Hmm. Gingham.
1: <laughs> Do with it what in. you want. You know, gingham is in. Is it? Absolutely. How about zoot suits? You know, oversized zoot suits with big shoulders. That's that's super in right now, and I'm I'm working on a men's collection as we speak. Um, And there are some bold shoulders.
3: (laughs) Well, I I got I got to say, you know, uh, as you probably know, Paula Poundstone's signature onstage look is
1: um, sort of a modified zoot suit. Wouldn't you say, Paula? I would say it absolutely is. I think I think you're definitely a style icon.
0: There you go. I want you to put that on a on a loop of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: well you know donatello versace said and i quote fashion is about dreaming and making other people dream really i thought that was mushrooms well we'll continue to strut down the conversational catwalk when we come back the cat of the week is mama from austin texas
0: Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. Have you noticed how unflappable I am lately? My incorrigible prankster dog, Moe, flushed a tennis ball down the toilet and went in after it. I never even mentioned it. A porch pirate stole my porch. I'm steady as she goes. You know why? I'm back in theaters. I ask that my audience be vaccinated and masked so we can enjoy nights of unbridled laughter in the very best company there is, which is you. I've missed you so much and I can't wait to see you.
3: And we're back with Hogan McLaughlin. Uh Hogan, how are you coming with that zoot suit you're redesigning for Paula? You've had the whole commercial break.
1: Yeah, give, give me just give me just another hour and it'll be done.
3: Okay, well while you're
0: while you're sketching, Paula,
3: you
1: have some more questions.
0: I do. Um, you know, we talked about uh designing uh for you know and manufacturing for the little people. Um what about this this thing of designing for individuals like what would you say Lady Gaga or Billy Porter what's mm. what's that like
1: Well a lot of the times you don't unfortunately get to have much one-on-one with the person themselves it's through a team of people a stylist uh, you know what have you uh, so they they sort of get to you and they say here's an outline of what we're kind of hoping for You have two days to do it, (laughs) pretty much. Um, Wow!
0: What are the kinds of parameters? What are the things that they will say? They you know like you know three quarter length sleeves, uh, something (laughs) in persimmon. What?
1: Exactly, pretty much that. (laughs) Um, They'll say, "Oh, we want. We're thinking blue. We want a cape, or we want you know a a dress that has sort of a a bustier with like." It's just very. It's sort of very specific, which is helpful. But at the same time, you sort of get, oh, well, is this really my vision or am I just, you know, creating this to uh, to do someone else's vision, which is fine. You know, you get your name out there, especially as a younger designer with uh, back in, you know, when I first started, not much exposure. Um, You kind of just are like, great. You're happy to have the press. But um, it is hard to reconcile that. And that's where I sort of um, nowadays am a little more discerning about the projects I take on.
0: So you could do that thing where you um, have print on the back that says stuff like "This is not my vision."
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh,
0: you know, how people were having this stuff written there for a while on there, and, uh, and
1: you know that would sell that hotcakes, I'm sure. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, no question. It's very okay. Wait, back up. Have you ever had like a bad experience? You don't have to tell us with who, mm-hmm. but have you ever had like a bad experience designing for individuals where you you send out what you think they ask for and they're like, "How dare you"? She'll <laughs> never wear that. We specifically told you three quarters length sleeves and persimmon.
1: Um, un- unfortunately, nothing that exciting. Um, the the hardest thing is like sometimes you do spend those you know forty eight hours or you know seventy two hours creating this and getting no sleep, and then they end up not wearing it, which is you know it's par for the course. But um, and and I say this from my own sort of my own corner, and I say if I was a celebrity and I was given the option of wearing Gucci or someone I'd never heard of, I would probably pick Gucci, <laughs> but that's just me. Um, so I, I get it, but at the same time, it's really disheartening sometimes, especially when you're first starting.
3: How do those opportunities come your way? Like, how did how does Gaga or somebody who's going to the Oscars find you? and Or are you trying to find them and offer them stuff?
1: Well, I think back in the day it was probably easier to get in touch via Instagram or whatever with, the uh, with the celebrity. Um, I was lucky. I've, I've worked with fantastic agents, um, over the last 12 years and, uh, they sort of were the the middleman between the celebrity or the stylist or the manager and me. Um, Wait a minute. Because... A,
0: dis- a clothing designer has an agent?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wow. Huh. Yeah.
1: I'm... Especially, um, cause they, they'll have the showroom that has all the samples in it. And then the the agent or the stylist for, let's say, Rihanna will come in and say, oh, we want this, this, this. And then the agent takes care of all that, luckily, because I'm not I'm not a good business person (laughs) at all. Um, So, yeah.
0: The idea that Rihanna has a stylist never even occurred to me. These people don't just get up and put on their clothes.
1: I'm sure there are a ton of celebrities that have a very good style instincts or they I mean, every celebrity has sort of an idea of what they like. Um, but I think most do work with stylists just to make their lives easier because I'm sure, especially someone like Nicole Kidman or Kate Blanchett, they probably get millions of dresses thrown at them every award show. And it's uh, it's easier for the stylist to say this is the best thing for you because it flatters you and it looks great.
0: You know what, um, uh, Hogan, this is exactly why I won't um, have any of my shows nominated <laughs> for awards, uh, because i I am so sick of uh, designers throwing dresses at me. I just, I, I just, you know, I just want to watch from home and tweet it. That's all <laughs> I care about, really. Now, what what is the industry of fashion like? I mean, mm. is it bitchy and backstabbing like The Devil Wears Prada?
1: I am sure it is. Some sometimes I am so lucky that I've never come across that. I've worked with people that are very passionate about what they do and, you know, if it's an hour before a fashion show and, you know, models are still in hair and makeup and they're not in their clothes, people can get, people can get short and, um, you know, a little snippy, but not in a bitchy way. But I think that that's more because they're so, they hold themselves to such a high standard that they don't want anything, they don't want their name to be on the line or whatever. And I, you know, I, have never, I've never gone home at the end of the night and been like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. is such a bitch. Like, I, I, can't, I can't believe they said that to me. Um, but you've never worked inside a house
3: or inside a magazine or anything like that. I mean, you, exactly.
1: Been your own yeah. boss. And, yeah. And I'm sure that that has had a lot to do with the fact that I haven't come across those people a lot <laughs> because I'm not trying to compete with anyone else for, you know, the ranking. Um, because I basically set the, set the tone for what's happening in my, in my world.
0: So no one with a, a, a patina of sweat across their brow has ever said to you, uh, 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 shove this bolt of crinoline up your ass uh, right at a tense moment? That's not... You know, so
1: that could very well have happened, but that's after hours maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, that's more of a celebrity challenge. Uh, exactly. All right. uh, now, okay, when I was watching this fashion show the other day, I had to the same question came into my mind as has every time I look at a fashion magazine, why is it popular for the models to look so miserable? Are they supposed to be just blank slates? So the audience will, their
1: eyes will go to the clothing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the mood of the show because there are designers like, let's say Betsy Johnson or I don't know, people that have a more uh, fun vibe to them. And so they, they actually personally ask their models to smile down the runway and maybe, like, do a little dance or whatever. Um, I think the tone of my stuff would feel a little weird if you got a, a model smiling with their teeth while they're <laughs> walking down in sort of, like, a black long trench coat. I don't know. It might, it might give a little creepy vibe.
0: Well, so w- when someone wears your garment, are they expected to have only one emotion?
1: I work with a fantastic stylist who sort of directs the models as to what their mood should be. And she sort of chooses the hair and the makeup. And basically I just hand over my collection to her so I don't have to Mm -hmm. stress anymore. Um, So I kind of just relinquish control at that, in that point. Um, But yeah, I think it's, it's very dependent on the mood and if it's a photo shoot, it's what the fashion director wants. It could be a number of things.
0: Do you even watch the fashion show? It sounds like you just sort of wash your hands of it after you finish your part.
1: Well, no, I I probably have a panic attack in the corner for the next fifteen minutes and oh, watch so that's good. So you're participating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm act- I'm actively <laughs> participating. Yeah.
0: That's good. That's that that's good. That I'll bet you that was in a lot of your report cards when you were a kid. That uh, Hogan Hogan participates. Yeah, you probably was, got. About- <laughs>
3: Tell me about that, that, that panic. So y- y- the show's going on. How do you know that it's gone well?
1: You really don't. It's so hard, especially with fashion because everyone's on their phone and who knows if they're actually taking a video of <laughs> of your show or if oh they're like gosh. texting someone else and being like, well, I really hate this. Why the fuck am I here? Um, so it's really, you know, 50, 50 thing. Um, but you do at the end of the fashion show, the designer goes out and they take their bow and you feel the energy and Every time I've done a show, I've felt the energy. Granted, I've had, you know, 50% of them are my friends and family family in the audience. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I every time I've done it, I've, I've felt good. And you usually get a write-up afterwards, and there's a review, and they say what they liked about your show, and, you know.
0: Well, can I have to warn you that uh, if you, after the show, come out on the stage, and you lay down on your stomach and... Um, prop your head up on your hands uh, with your elbows. Mm. Um, you might be uh, cutting off your chakras and not be able to feel energy.
1: <laughs> well, I'm just
0: I'll, warning you. No.
1: Well, that might be good actually. Um,
0: it can happen. I've heard of it happening, and I've happened to it a friend happen. of
1: mine. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, my my last publicist, she was like, um, "I well, I know you have a background in dance, so maybe you should come down the runway and do like a leap and like a pirouette or something." I was like, the "Fuck." No, I'm not. Doing that. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> Do you design stuff for men that they might? That, have there been actors that wore stuff at the Academy Awards or something?
1: Not currently, but but um, I am again working on my own stuff. I, I'm actually slated slated to get married at the end of the year, so I'm sort of like working on a men's thing. And congratulations. I don't know if actually, well, thank you. But I don't know if I'm actually going to wear my own thing because that might be a little a little gauche. <laughs> but um, we'll see. But that was sort of the impetus to do a men's sort of collection, so I could, I could reap the benefits of this, the amount of work that I put into something as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, if you like your stuff better, then you should use your stuff.
1: Yeah, um, or
3: dress or dress your spouse in your stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he'd be into that either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll find out
0: <laughs> i have an idea so you make it and then you get, and then you have to put somebody you'll put like betsy ross's name on it or something mm-hmm. and then only tell them afterwards
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: I, I i don't know if you want to begin your married life with the foundation of such uh
1: deceit but still well some people might be really into a betsy ross blazer i don't know
3: let me ask about putting putting your stuff on other people because you you, you broached that topic. Um mm. do you ever I mean, aren't influencers now like social media people being paid to wear people's dresses and whatnot? And are you involved in that scene? And what will you pay me to wear one of
1: your dresses? <laughs> on your um, podcast. Yeah. Uh I am not <laughs> I'm I'm not really involved in too much in that. If an influencer approaches me, uh, I'll, I'll probably see what they're doing, see if they sort of align with what I'm trying to do. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a very dependent thing. Um, with celebrities, they definitely do get paid. Um, a lot of them have contractual obligations with a house, like you know Chanel has Kristen Stewart, for example, um, and so her entire wow. promotion. Yeah, so her entire promotion for...
0: No, I, I knew nothing of this. I had no idea this this was going on.
1: Yeah, so her entire promotional tour for Spencer that just came out, she's wearing Chanel. Or Jennifer Lawrence, when she won the Oscar, she has a contract at the House of Dior, so she's always wearing Dior. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's just so like it's,
3: athletes with the, with the sneaker companies.
1: Exactly, yeah. So um, that's also what makes it a little tough for younger designers that don't have this, like, dynasty um because Mm -hmm. they don't have the millions to say oh well you know even if you hate this you're going to wear it just because we're paying you to do it so go for it
0: gee all right i want to say two more words to you uh well maybe three mike boom boom Bonifet. just keep your (laughs) keep your eyes out for mike boom boom Bonifet. he may be approaching you soon
1: i hope so Well, Hogan, that
3: was completely excellent. And now we're going to run all of this new fashion knowledge through something we call the old pounce Donator. Paula? House band David Bragger, thanks so much
0: for bringing our show to life with your fabulous fiddle. I'd love to have some more of it while I tell you what the old pounce Donator spit out. Hogan McLaughlin, thank you. You are the first fashion designer we've ever had on our show. Partly because it's such a foreign world to me. But perhaps even more because it's a podcast. And unless Bonnie Burns wears them, clothes are hard to hear. (laughs) Anyway, you've been a wonderful (laughs) guest. And I feel I understand the world of fashion in a way I, I never did before. I can't get over the idea that celebrities have stylists. So they're not just... Going to the mall once or twice a year Like the rest of us Rolling out of bed Smelling the armpits of yesterday's shirt And pulling it over their heads I I gotta confess though I I don't remember everything you said After you said I was a style icon Everything else became just white noise to me Me A a style icon (laughs) Miss Poundstone herself Comes down the catwalk today Alright, alright, I'll feed you. Get the fuck <laughs> out of my way. Sorry! Well, don't walk in front of me and you won't get stepped on. Miss Poundstone is wearing her fall spring collection, a loose fitting pair of blue jeans accessorized by a short bright red ribbon, threaded through the two front belt loops and tied into a bow in an Ellie May Clampett inspired belt. Her black hot-knit sweater featuring a cowboy with a lasso on the front you may recognize from her 1991, 1992, 1993, <laughs> 2019, <laughs> 2020, and 2021 fall-spring collections. As the temperatures rise, she takes off her sweater to reveal a remarkably soft tripoly blend t-shirt with a self-portrait on the left breast and a memorable quote on the back. Her dramatic, spike-heeled, knee-high, lace-up boots are made entirely of Bitcoin, turning a familiar classic on
3: its head. Move! Move! You've been fed! He is fashion designer Hogan McLaughlin, and we are so grateful that you were here with us, Hogan. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having
0: me. Thanks. Thanks, Hogan. This was great.
3: Coming up... You'd think that by episode 185, we'd really know each other. Well, you're wrong. Another round of Two Truths and a Lie is coming up next. Fun fact. Peanuts aren't technically nuts. Unlike Marjorie Taylor Green.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thank you David Bragger and we are back in action Paula Poundstone. How's it feeling? You feeling a little more fashionable? Oh my gosh, a uh, fashion icon. I believe that's the phrase you used. I think he did. I think he meant it, too. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Now that you've learned about fashion, you got to learn about us. Oh, boy, I
0: can't wait to take the masks off. I think I know you guys pretty well.
3: Well then, Paula, let's all play Two Truths and a Lie.
2: Two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. (laughs) Two truths, two truths, two truths and a lie.
0: Wow. (laughs) Who is it that sang Goldfinger? Because that was so close to it. Uh, Just in the delivery. Just, wow, Goldfinger. All right, ready? So
3: who's going to go first on Two Truths and a Lie? Why don't you go first, Paula? You seem like you're you're chomping at the bit.
0: I'm chomping at the bit. All right, do I just say the three things?
3: Say three things, and we'll know that two of them are true, and one of them's a lie, and we all have to take a guess.
0: Okay. When I was in high school, I had these giant Mickey Mouse comic books. So for my friend Judith Coolidge's birthday, I made her a card, which was a folded up piece of paper on which I had traced and then went over with a thin marker, a picture of Mickey Mouse. And Judith was so impressed. I I thought it was kind of strange that she was so impressed until she said that she thought I had drawn it. And by that time, I had already accepted so much praise for it. And I had thought she knew I traced it in the beginning that I just didn't have the heart to tell her. And I only see her every several years or so, and I kept thinking she would forget about it, you know, but she'll bring it up. When I see her, like, I don't know, every 7 to 10 years, she'll say, oh, do you remember that Mickey Mouse you drew me? At our 40th high school reunion, she brought it up again, and I still couldn't tell her. So that's one. Wow. Here's two. I wore a cowboy hat to school almost every day during my sophomore year of high school. And here's three. I got drunk with someone who is on a quarter.
2: <laughs>
3: wow.
2: I'm trying to remember who's the woman on the quarter.
3: Okay, I have my guess. Let's start with Tony.
4: I'm gonna say the quarter.
3: Okay.
4: Are you can ask
2: me. Yeah,
4: Bonnie. Okay. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna
3: say the cowboy hat. And I am also going to say the cowboy hat. The quarter thing sounds believable. Didn't, like, Maya Angelou appear on a quarter? And I could see that happening. So I'm going with cowboy hat. Wow. Paula.
0: Okay. The lie was, in fact, the cowboy hat. Yay! Yay. (laughs) But it was not Maya Angelou that I got drunk with. It was George Washington.
4: Wait a minute.
3: (laughs) Hold on a second. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's why I like to listen to Hamilton so much, just to...
3: Relive the moments.
0: Yeah. I remember I I would meet with him in his tent and, uh, you know, we'd drink. And uh, he'd say, son. And I would say, call me son one more time. (laughs) Uh, And then we would just drink more. Uh, No, I got... I got drunk in Norman Lear's office with Maya Angelou once years ago. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. It probably wasn't me at my finest, but there it was.
3: It might not have been her at <laughs> her finest either. She looks good on that quarter, though. Have you seen it?
0: Yeah. I No, I've just seen a picture of the quarter. I'm not getting paid right now, so I don't have a lot of quarters. You
3: have quarters, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hey, Tony, Anita Hull, give us two truths and a lie.
4: Okay, here we go. My first crush was Davy Jones from The Monkees. My name was almost Holly Anita after Holly Hunter in Santa Anita racetrack. I was crowned Pork King at the Okaboji Summer Theater Pig Olympics.
3: <laughs> Wait, the, can you say that last one again?
4: I was crowned Pork King at the Okaboji Summer Theater Pig Olympics.
3: Paula, you want to take a first crack at that?
4: I think...
0: The pork king is not true. Okay. <laughs>
2: Bonnie? I'm going with Holly Anita because Tony's a very clever person, and I think that would be something funny she'd make up.
3: I'm going to go with Holly Anita, too, just because Santa Anita Racetrack is, is uh, here in California, isn't it? And Tony's from the other side of the country. So I'm going with Holly Anita Ho as my lie. Tony?
4: the lie is my name was almost holly anita after holly hunter and santa anita racetrack hey, i roller. was
3: two for two yeah
4: we're tied yes my middle name is after santa anita racetrack though that it is, is.
3: True. so my it reasoning is. was my... wrong even if my answer was right
4: correct
0: anyways holly thank you for playing
3: <laughs> And do you want to tell us about that pork king thing What what the hell was that tony
4: It's something uh, when I did summer theater that they did every summer called the the Pig Olympics and they crowned a pork king and queen and I was crowned pork king after running a very long, week-long campaign to win the title.
3: Congratulations, Tony.
4: Thank you. Wow. Thank you.
0: When they revealed the results uh, of the voting, um, did you say that it was a sham, it was a hoax, that there was massive... Fraud? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just accepted.
4: I accepted the results.
3: Even yeah. at that tender age, you knew to accept the results of an election.
4: Yes.
0: What was the name of the place where this took place again? The the Huda
4: Okaboji Summer Theater in Okaboji, Iowa.
0: Yeah. Whenever Whoa. I go to Okaboji, Iowa, I have to say right on my way into the town, uh, I will not run for Port King, and if elected, I will not serve.
3: Whenever I'm in Okaboji, I have to bend the knee to the pork king and queen.
0: Bunny has to put her knee behind her head when she goes <laughs> to Oko. O- o- Ch- I can't remember how to pronounce it.
3: Okaboji.
4: Okaboji. <laughs>
0: Bo- Okaboji. Of course, my mistake.
4: Hey, Tony. Yeah. Oh, I just
2: want to know why were you named after Santa Anita Racetrack?
4: My dad loved horse racing. Oh. And my first name is after a- a Tony Teniel, actually. Really.
3: I love that.
0: She was so close to being named Captain.
3: <laughs> captain Anita Hull. That would be the yep. third captain on this show. Um
0: No, even worse. She was almost named Captain and
3: <laughs> Captain and Anita. Speaking of Okaboji, let's go and ask the former Miss Okaboji, Bonnie Burns, what your two truths and a lie are. I'm not
2: Okaboji.
3: You were never Miss Okaboji?
2: I'm not an Okaboji.
3: <laughs> okay. Whatever.
2: I knew it was Pork King, because if you're at Okaboji, you're going to have some stupid, no offense, Tony, thing like that. <laughs> the Pork King. Offense wow. taken. Yeah, why, offense no offense. Taken. Yeah, yeah, why
0: would anybody be offended by that? Yeah. yeah.
4: It's a very prestigious title.
0: Part of her memories that she treasures. Why would she be offended by you calling it stupid? Why?
3: Yeah, it's inconceivable that she'd be offended by that. Bonnie, why don't you go ahead with Two Truths and a Lie?
2: Okay, here I am. So my father was a child prodigy on the piano, and his parents went to a Rachmaninoff concert at Carnegie Hall. They loved the tone of the piano Rachmaninoff was playing on, and so they bought that piano for my dad. And I grew up with a concert grand standing open in our living room. Yes. Well, it was just kind of a neat thing. Yeah. It is neat. Okay, here's another one. The first time I ever went to New York, and I'd always heard like, oh, New York's this place of fashion. I thought I should get a pair of high heels. And I didn't have much time to buy them. So I ran into the department store. I saw a pair of heels I liked. I told people, I'm just not going to try them on. Just give me the box. I go to New York. I get dressed in the morning, and I realize that the shoes are for two left feet. (laughs) And then uh, our production assistant who was on the plane with me on the way to New York, she convinced me that I should have nicer nails because New York. So we did those stick on nails, Lee stick on nails. Lee press on nails. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was walking down Sixth Avenue and it was really, really windy. And when I arrived at the place for the meeting, I not only had shoes that were for two left feet, Most of those nails had blown off in the wind, and I had, like, sticky glue on my regular fingernails. That's number two. Number three is that for a short time, I managed Michael Jackson, and he used to call me the Bonds. Wow. That's
3: hard. Who wants to go first? Anybody want to jump in here?
2: Yeah, I know the answer.
3: I can't wait to hear
4: this.
0: All three stories are completely true. Uh, no, she didn't manage Michael Jackson.
3: I'm going to agree with you. She didn't manage Michael Jackson.
4: I agree. Oh, really? Yes. He did call
2: me the. <laughs> All right, you're right. The way you
3: congratulated yourself after the first two stories made them self evidently true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're like, well, I just thought that was kind of a neat true story oh, for my life. Gosh. Okay, what's my next one? <laughs> That's a good tip for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: you think? Yeah, you yeah, have kind of a shit poker face. Yeah,
3: that was great though, Bonnie. And those were those were two great stories.
0: I, I, by the way, I can't imagine nails blowing off in the wind.
2: It was really gusty. Yeah, but I, it still wouldn't blow nails. How long were these nails? No, no, no. You know, I don't think those Lee Press-On nails work very well. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, there goes that sponsor. Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh. What a disappointment the Lee Press-On nails are. <laughs> I thought
3: for sure.
0: Oh, my
3: gosh. All right, well, um, mine is quite quick. I'll do my two truths and a lie. As you guys know, I, I think I might have failed to mention it last week, but I have a new podcast called Dad Band Land on the Starburns Audio Network.
2: That's <laughs> the oh lie. Oh, my God, <laughs> you
3: get so many
2: plugs for this podcast. That's
3: the lie right there. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie is outraged at the number of plugs. Yeah. Um, but it's yes, been it, unbelievable.
2: I bet there's been 20 <laughs> minutes of plugs. I had to listen
3: to three solid years uh, uh, of a remarkably soft Tri Poly Blend t shirts. I sell those. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, he's mentioned it five times. When will it end?
0: <laughs> Adam, before you continue, I have a story. So I was in New York one time. Tell me if this is true or not. I was in New York one time, and I'm walking down the street, and the next thing I know, all these Lee Press-On nails blow into my face, and they were, like, stuck, (laughs) and I couldn't get them off.
3: They were totally adhered. You know, that's weird, because, you know, two weeks ago we had that hurricane expert on? Yes. And what I forgot to tell him is that... When I was in the midst of Hurricane Gloria in Boston in 1986, we were right near a women's college, Wellesley, and when the hurricane hit Wellesley, it blew off all the students' Lee Press-On nails and <laughs> impaled several of us down the road at Tufts.
0: <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of times when they show that satellite picture, you can see the Lee Press-On nail. What's weird about Lee Press-On nails is they, will, they don't stick that well the first time, they'll blow off. But whatever they hit afterwards, (laughs) they adhere to. So,
3: (laughs) Here comes two truths and a lie from me. Okay. In addition to that aforementioned podcast, I have been in many bands in my life. I am going to give you the names of three of the bands that I've been in, but only two of them are real. I was in a band called Dr. Glick and the Hygienicists. I was also in a band called The Midnight Electric Blue. And I was also in a band called... The adequate bar band. Paula Poundstone.
0: Uh, I'd say Dr. Glick is the
3: lie. Dr. Glick and the hygienist is the lie. Okay. Uh, Tony Anita Hall.
4: I agree with Paula.
3: Okay. Dr. Glick and the hygienists getting no love. Bonnie Burns.
2: I agree also, Dr. Oh. Glick.
3: You're all right. There was never a Dr. Glick and a Hygienesis, but wouldn't it be great if there was? Wow. It was a name I proposed years ago to a band that I had, but they didn't go for it. They didn't go for it. Blow me away. All right, everybody. And that is Two Truths and a Lie. I love that game.
2: It's a great game. I thought it was really fun. You know what's weird?
0: It's, I believe now all three of my stories.
3: Yeah, I believe all three of your stories now, too. (laughs) All right, nobodies. If you have any questions or comments or you want to send us two truths and a lie, although I don't know why you would. We don't know you that well. uh, Do that at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week?
0: Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, has a brand new product, a Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone hoodie sweatshirt. It's like our new baby.
3: That explains the smell of shit in
0: the warehouse. Each high-fashion, comfortable shirt has a double needle hem on the hood and pouch pocket. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone logo on the front and a memorable quote on the back. Also comes with a simple, sample dialogue to help the listener who feels awkward telling people that they listen. See, Adam? They're available now in small, medium, large, extra large, and double extra large at the shop at PaulaPoundstone.com. And the best part is they're free, except for the 40 or $42 plus shipping. Kirkus Reviews says my book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is a pure romp. A deeply revealing memoir in which the pathos doesn't kill the humor. Delivers more than it promises. If your bookstore doesn't have it, you can get it at the store at polypoundstone.com. Lot of stuff available there. I'd tell you more, of course, but Heidi...
3: Wow. Well, um, I just want to say that as much as Bonnie Burns hates to hear it, my new podcast, Dad Bandland, (laughs) is now streaming all over the country and all over the world. I encourage you to listen to it. Hit us up on our social medias, which is mostly Dad Bandland, if you search it on the Insta, the Twitter, or anywhere. We're having a great time talking about all things music from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. And I would tell you more, but Bonnie... (laughs) Alright, remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you get your pods It's free If there's a subject or topic that you'd like to know about, tell us We're at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com And that is our show Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber Special thanks to our guest, Hogan McLaughlin
0: Yay! Yay!
3: And to our house band, David Bragger
0: Yay! Yeah.
3: Yeah. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lazebnik and Tony Anita Racetrack Yay! Starburns production by Land Romo.
0: Yay!
3: Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Yay! And thanks to the voice talent of Paul Matlock.
0: Yay!
3: Transcription <laughs> services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone. When placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service.
0: Yay! That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody <laughs> please listen to me? You know, Adam, people could leave a review of the show. You know, they could leave a, a five-star review.
3: A review of our podcast?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they could put a comment. Uh, yeah. You know,
3: like... We have some great reviews on iTunes. I mean, our Apple Podcasts are ready.
0: We need more. You know, they could give it the five-star review, but then when asked for specifics... They could say stuff like "I needed a liver transplant," until I listen to nobody listens to Paula Posty.
3: <laughs> Yeah, but that would be um, what's the word I'm looking for? Wouldn't that be a lie?
0: Oh, it's very popular right now. Um, okay, <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, all right, all right. Forget the liver transplant. Yeah, I don't want to. Okay. I don't spread. I don't want to spread health misinformation. So they could say, "I lost my will to live." Until I listen to nobody listens to Paul. It's
3: <laughs> yeah. dark, but okay. Okay,
0: that's all right. Okay, scratch that. Don't do that. They could say, um, "What was that thing that lady said that time?" She said, "It's great to vacuum too." That didn't seem like a compliment. That did it.
3: <laughs> no, it seemed like I need to, I need to drown it out with a vacuum. Is what that felt. Yeah, nice.
0: exactly. Yeah, uh, jackhammer in your neighborhood. Listen to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Yeah.